This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, yeah. And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome in Houdat, Inside Black and Gold, your post-OTA edition. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak here. We'll be getting into plenty of player sound and also giving you our takeaways of our first session. And I love how the Cajun Cannon and Mike Dettelier always say, you know, guys running around in pajamas, Jeff. Yeah, it's our, it's our post-OTA and also kind of pre-OTA edition because that's going to be the next three weeks is of reacting to OTAs and getting ready for OTAs. Um, this is, yes, the first session. One of one of my first note, and we have a bunch of notes here that we're going to go through. My first note to kind of get to your point is sleeveless Derek Carr, <laughs> which like, I don't know why that struck me that he just is out there sleeveless, but like, I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw a Saints quarterback not wearing sleeves. I don't know. I just thought it was very funny. He's yeah, used to that California weather, and I guess sleeves are not required out there. I do wonder – I haven't asked him, and I keep meaning to. It's like, did they practice outside with the Raiders? I imagine they did. So we keep talking about how it's hot, and I'm like, it's not hotter here than it, than it is in Vegas. I, I, I was just in Vegas. It's an oven. It's just like a different type of heat. It's more like a convection oven than like a frying pan, which is like what New Orleans is. Yeah, like you said, I don't even know if the, if the Raiders have an indoor practice facility that they utilize. They must. I mean, they have to. It, like, physically speaking, they have to. It's just really a question of, like, for example, the last year Sean was here, they were inside basically the entire training camp. Right. I mean, they practiced outside like maybe four times, whereas last year with DA, they were outside the entire month of August. So it's just kind of a it's just kind of interesting, but I have to imagine Vegas is similar in that like it's dangerous to be out there for a majority of the month of August in the middle of the desert. I just did a quick Google and it, I did you know OT, uh, OTAs training camp Raiders, and it shows them outside. So it's that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't see any indoor fit pictures. Well, if they're anything like the Saints, you won't because they don't let oh, you take. That's them. true. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but all right, let's start this off by you know I feel like. Uh, I was pretty close to being spot on with the absentees. There was a couple I wasn't expecting, um, but the ones that that a majority of the folks who weren't there, we basically could have guessed they weren't going to be there. So there was 10 players that were not present as we expected. No Demario Davis, no Michael Thomas, no Marshawn Lattimore, no Alvin Kamara. Like that's kind of like the skill positions, veterans, whatever you could get it. And I've, and I'm of the belief that, as opposed to being annoyed that they're not there, I think it's actually helpful that they're not there in the sense that the young running backs, the new running backs, the new wide receivers, the new cornerbacks, right? Those reps are more valuable to them than they would be to a Marshawn Lattimore or an Alvin Kamara. So like, I want to see Jamal Williams get all the work he can get. And that's what happened. Um, You could could probably throw uh, Taysom in that mix too, huh? 
Yeah, well, yeah, Taysom's an interesting one. That's why I kind of set, kind of aside. So yeah, Taysom wasn't there yeah. either. And I think this is something we talked about in the last episode, and it's and I talked to Mike Detelier about it too. If Taysom was in contention to be a quarterback on this team, totally different, right? Hundred percent would be there. The second he's a tight end, it's like yeah. Uh. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm I good. agree with it. I'm 100% on board. Good for him. And it's like, it really is. It's a veteran thing. Like anyone on a rookie deal who is not there, that raises a red flag to me. And so we're going to get down this. JT Gray, team captain, not there. I'm cool with that. Ryan Ramchek, he know what Ryan is. You don't need to see him there. He's, that's fine. Please James get healthy. Hurst surprises right. me. James Hurst surprises me. It's He wasn't there last year either, so it's nothing new. Uh, I guess when you're a veteran and you know what your role is, it's like, okay. Yeah, the, the Hurst one wasn't as much as a surprise, but the next name you mentioned, I guarantee, was a, the surprise to me. Yes, and that's the 10th and final player who was not there, and that's Nick Saldaveri, the fourth-round rookie. Oh, no, I thought you were going to say Andrus Pete. Oh, I, I missed Andrus Pete. Andrus Pete's not there. You are correct. Yeah, I was like, what, do you, what were you doing not being there, Andrus? Come on. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you're on your second or third deal. It's OTAs. You can not be there. He's not fighting for his job. It's really, for him, it's a health question. I think James Hurst yeah. is actually a bigger question because – I think there is a scenario where he's still competing with Trevor Penning in training camp, whereas not being there would almost indicate that you're like comfortable with like, maybe I'm going to be the backup guard or the backup tackle. I don't know. But the, so to, to, to move on to the next one, which is the one I already said was the rookie Nick Saldaveri is not there. And that is the only absence that I think is concerning because he is dealing with a calf injury. Uh, I don't know when it happened. I don't know if it happened at rookie camp. I don't know right. if it happened somewhere in between that during a workout, but it was enough to keep him away from the facility or at least off the field to where we didn't see him. I don't know if he was there, but for reference, there was a handful of players that were dealing with injuries that were there, right? You had Trevor Penning, Cesar Ruiz, Eno Benjamin, Kendry Miller, and Miller Forrestal. Those last two are a little confusing. All work all off to the side. And one of the one of the helpful things about those weird foam helmets is it's a good way to tell who's involved and who's not. Because if they don't have a foam helmet on, they're not really doing the work. Um, like, you know, Benjamin, I wasn't sure at first whether he was involved, but then I was like, wait, he doesn't have a foam helmet. He's not really doing anything. So whatever Nick is dealing with, it is enough that he wasn't out there at all, which makes me wonder if it was something that happened at rookie camp. And so they knew in advance that he wasn't going to be there. And because when, when we talked to Dennis, it didn't sound like a surprise. Like it didn't sound like this was something that happened this week, um, but either way, it's something to watch. Yeah. I was even surprised that Dennis even let us know, Oh, he's dealing with the cap issue. Yes. Yeah, but like we've talked about this before. And I think if we talked about this in camp is he will, he'll tell us like he told us when Taysom was dealing with a rib injury. He told I, us when Michael Thomas was dealing with a hamstring injury, he will, he will be forthright about, the the ailments in camp way more than Sean ever would have been. I was going to say, yeah, I guess I'm still so used to Sean yeah. Payton's dealings that I was like, whoa, he actually gave us information. Well, I remember having this exact conversation last year when Taysom Hill was quote unquote dealing with a rib, right? That's yeah. how he phrases it. Whereas Sean would say, oh, he tweaked uh, something, right? Like he tweaked his head as a concussion. <laughs> but Dennis would be, oh, he's dealing with a blank. So right. it's at least helpful to know what it is and he doesn't get mad when we ask which i think is helpful too like sean would i feel like has trained everyone to be like okay you, you better need to ask that question if you're gonna ask that question because then i'm done because, with you too right i'm yes. shutting down but yeah so nick Saldaveri. i mean like in terms of training camp injuries if that's the injury you're dealing with you're the guy who is probably going to be a backup this year anyway as a rookie you could be worse right all the injuries are on the offensive side of the ball which is interesting right it's three offensive linemen, two running backs, and a tight end. Now, we don't know if Michael Thomas, what his status is. That's another one on the offense. We don't know if any of the defensive players who stayed away are nursing anything. I don't think they are. But, yeah, so that's that's the notable thing from the – and it's, it's funny. The first OTAs is like, okay, who's not here? The second OTA is kind of like, okay, who got hurt at the first OTA? <laughs> and, and then now, who's, right. who's different there now? But I thought 80 out of 89 players – whatever it was, I feel like that's a solid number. I don't think there's any any qualms to be made about guys not being there. No, that was definitely much better than last season. I feel like there was close to 20 guys that might have not been around for OTAs, at least the, the start of OTAs last season. Yeah, I can't, I can't recall. Um, and I think part of it is there's a lot of new players, right? Like Jamal Williams, he's going to be there. 
There's no question. And did you see he was wearing that anime mask? Very cool. Yeah, like a, like Alvin has a NASCAR mask and, and well, Jamal has an anime mask. One we talked about too. I was definitely surprised. I don't want to say surprised, but you're like, oh, Taran Matthew is here. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and he, he mentioned too, though, year two. It's like I'm still getting you know really acquainted with things, and I felt like year two, I, I needed to be here, kind of deal. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because he we he did he was asked about that, and I think he just he feels kind of like an ownership of of the group right Right. like he's he's a veteran and he embraces that um and this is what he had to say about working with the younger players uh when he was in you know i always try to take the dbs under my wing um you know i was just over there with them they was asking me where to eat at you know what i mean like just just you know rookie questions you know uh so i think a lot of those guys look up to me um, so, you know, I think for me, you know, just being here, you know, uh, being available for those guys, um, you know, I think they all can kind of, you know, benefit from it. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's just how, like he, he is the dad in the, in the DB room, right? Like he's the, he's the wise old guy who's still good enough to play. And, and I, I appreciate that approach because I think teams benefit from that. He talked about it last year. Like one of the things that he values in a DB room or in a, in a roster is not just being casual teammates on a field he thinks he kind of approaches it as like in a more holistic way like oh yeah i want this group to be connected to feel like they there's investment in each other like he he values like going out to dinners and and stuff and getting to know people as your teammates and i think that that's just the type of habit that if you're a rookie coming into the nfl you might not know you might not know exactly how to handle yourself and him being there is very helpful to those young players. And I think he appreciates that. And that's part of the reason he makes sure to be there. Yeah. Just another solid, you know, type of leader like you have with Cam Jordan. It's just amazing that that dude, you know, he doesn't need to be there and he just wants to play and wants to be around all, anything football. I feel Cam Jordan is like that, that pigskin junkie, I guess you could kind of say. Yep. You, you set him up and I'm going to play another clip. Well, you know, I would say the thing, um, that I've been most impressed with with those guys is that they've been here. Um, you know, those guys are proven. Those guys are, you know, some of them are champions. Some of you know, they've played at the highest level, Pro Bowls, all the kind, all that kind of stuff. But they've been here, and that that says a lot to me. You know, you know, when guys are here and different guys get ready for the season different ways. Um, you know, but when I walked in, like, like I didn't expect to see them. You know, but I walked in and they're in there and they're working, they're grinding. You're like. It makes sense. You know, it makes sense why when you need a play, they're the one that makes the play. You know, when we need a pick, Tyron's the one that picks it. You know, you need to tackle for a loss or a big play, on de- they're the ones that make the play. And it, you know, consistently working like that, you know, it shows, you know, we're out here at practice. They're in the practice. You know, they're playing. You know, they're not just, you know, doing nothing. And they're in the individual drills. They're coaching. They're pushing. And you can tell all they want to do is win. And so um, it's been impressive to watch. I've been really impressed. You know, I- I've thought the world of them from afar. Um, obviously, um, but being on the same team with them and seeing them, the day-to-day work, because everyone can do it every now and then. You know, it's hard to do it for 10 years. You know, it's it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to do those things. And like we talked about consistency earlier, those guys model consistency because they're here and they push their teammates. It's awesome. Yeah, and he's talking about Tyron Matthew and Cam Jordan. That was Derek Carr. I almost called him David. Uh, that was Derek Carr talk, saying the same things we did. Like, he is equally impressed with the work ethic of players that – you know, we've grown accustomed to seeing how hard they work. Um, and I don't think that's a, again, I don't think that's a slight to the players who aren't there. And like, no one's going to question to Mario Davis's work ethic. Right. But I do think it's, you know, it's like, these are team leaders for a reason. And I think that's part of the reason this saints team is so consistent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Cause you have guys in there like a Cam Jordan, like a Tyron Matthew. I definitely love that one part to Derek Carr when he said, you know, anybody can do it one season. Right. You know, these guys know what it takes to be that on that level where you want to be that all pro pro bowler or whatever. Be, being a constant producer for your team is definitely going to take putting the work in. Yeah, you got to be a crazy person, right? Then you got to yeah. be a crazy person over a long period of time. And like you can gauge talent. You can't gauge work ethic ten, five years down the road. And, you know, that's that's why, like, Cam Jordan, like, the last podcast or two ago, I can't remember, I talked about how, you know, it's Cam Jordan's credentials as a Hall of Famer. And it's like, he's probably going to make the Hall of Fame, and it's not going to be because he ever had, like, a 20-sack season or he put up these insane numbers. It's going to be because he was available every game 
for 15 years, which is like you could count on one hand the number of defensive ends who have been able to do that. Anyway, let's let's move on to some observations. So so sleeveless Derek Carr, I kind of use that as a as a jumping off point too. He's getting comfortable. He is learning. He is, as he puts it, asking questions of like, okay, I'm just going to throw it up to this guy and see what happens and see how he reacts and how he works. He was eight for eight in team drills on day one. Nothing crazy, although he did put up a duck to Chris Olave that Chris saved his bacon on, which, you know, good. Like that's, there's value there. Like not, not every pass is going to be perfect. You need your receivers to make you look good. And he did that. So I thought Derek Carr on day one looked like he may be adjusting. Like he said, like one play, he stood there waiting for the play to come in his headset. And that's just not how the Saints do it. Like Pete Carmichael tells him to play and he took him a while to be like, oh wait, yeah, I have to go over there. So he's getting used to it. He's learning the language. But I think for, to come out and be that, efficient and accurate and running the offense the way he was on day one. I think that's a good sign. Yeah. You mentioned that pass to Chris Olave and yeah, it, it wasn't pretty, but the good thing about it, we saw Olave going up, making a contested quote unquote catch. Obviously yeah. they're not in pads and everything right now, but right. still that was a big complaint last season that the guy wasn't, you know, so aggressive to go get the ball. And yeah, he did that. Well, day one with Carr, so I think that's a huge positive. But yet, yeah, no, no big bulking up from Olave in his frame that I, I, I could really see. He, he still looks really the same size. I didn't, I didn't know if I he was going to put on any mass in the off season, but it doesn't seem like he's added any bulk to him, kind of deal. I, I mean, I, I, I haven't gotten a close enough look to you know. I, I don't it know. Just didn't like, appear, I'll say. It's tough because you're talking about like, okay, maybe five pounds, right? And it could be like, I think part of it's just the lower body. Like he needs his legs need to get stronger so that he can kind of fight, right? And I, I don't know, like, we'll see. I also think it's kind of a mentality thing of like, you know, you need to be able to fight through contact and make catches. Like it's not all about being heavier. And I, I, I don't know about that catch. I think it's nice to see him do it because it's something he did struggle with last year. I also think it's like, okay, Marcus, what were you doing? Marcus right, May exactly. Like, you're going to go do something about that. <laughs> uh, and then at the same time, it's like, okay, if they're in pads and the safety feels like he can go hit a guy, probably runs through him a little bit and either knocks it away or makes a catch. So it's nothing crazy, but uh, you know, I, I think like the chemistry between Carr and Chris Olave, the chemistry between Carr and Judd Juan Johnson, who made a really nice catch up the seam. That's good to see on day one. And you kind of build out from there. He, he completed a majority of passes to tight ends. I think five of them went to tight ends. I was going to say, even Lucas Kroll had a good day. Lucas Kroll had a good day. Juwan Johnson, Foster Morrow, obviously, and we'll talk more about Foster Morrow in the second segment, looks very much like Foster Morrow. That's all. Like, that's the best, that's the best and worst thing I can say about him is he looks exactly like I remember Foster Moreau looking. And that's, if you didn't know any better, you would just be like, oh, yeah, look, Foster. He's out there. That's definitely a connection just because obviously the familiarity with David Carr. I want to see that more come, you know, these other OTAs we get to mandatory mini camp and going into training camp because yeah, just uh, excited about that, that Derek Carr has that quote unquote security blanket that he is familiar with already. Yeah. And Brian Edwards is there too. Uh, One thing Foster said was he was actually slow getting off the line a couple times, but like it was not with Derek Carr. It was with Jay Kaner. It was with Jameis Winston, who I thought Jameis looked good. I I enjoyed seeing him out there. It's nice to see him running around, you know, with no issues. Right. Right. Um, This time last year, that was not the case. So it's good to see. One guy that I think had a rough day was A.T. Perry. Oh, yeah. And it's like he's the athleticism is there. The size is there. He's smooth. He needs to be able to make contested catches, back shoulder catches. He got four chances to do it. And the only one he made was the was the underthrown ball that wasn't really that didn't really have anything to do with size. He actually caught it around his hip. It was a good catch, but like he had a really nice ball from Jameis Winston. They could have just put his foot in the ground and gone up on it, made a catch. He had two from Jay Kaner that he didn't come down with. And, uh, you know, that's, it's the first OTA practice. I'm not going to overreact to it, but like he's getting those opportunities for a reason. And that's the reason he's in the NFL is because like, that's the type of catch he should be able to make. So I think he's going to have to get better there, but it was not a great start for him. Let's put it that way. No, like you mentioned too, it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be, you know, the, the big reasoning that we all figured that he was brought in was to be that, quote unquote contested catches guy and then it's like oh great three drops day one that's that's not the impression you want to make 
at all. Another one who had a rough day, veteran Traquan Smith had a drop, and you're just shaking your head. Like, what, you know, what are you doing? But he can block. Yay. <laughs> he was also uh, in the special teams drills for – I'm going to go through the list of gunners to see, like, these are the players that we're going to – one of them is going to be a gunner. Anyway, um, the other guy who had a rough day, Yasir Durant, and I only know it because Doug Marone was chewing him out. <laughs> I think he just misidentified the mic. He was going the wrong direction. It was actually a, on a nice run by Jamal Williams. So, like, Yasir Durant blowing up an assignment didn't affect it. But like if when you see something like that and you're just like, okay, there's going to come a point in this offseason where they have to cut some players. Is he going to be toward the top of the list, right? Um, so that's, that's one to keep in mind. Jamal Williams also had a rough day in the receiving game. He had a couple drops. And I don't know how much he's going to be used in that regard. Like that's yeah. not, obviously not his best skill set to begin with. But he talked big game when he got here about how he could do it all. He was an all-around running back, and it's not about a short-yarded situation. But you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of uh, put your money where your mouth is there, and he'll get better. I just thought, like on day one, it, he didn't put forward his best foot in the receiving game. No, and he definitely knew it after that second drop. He, you know, hit the floor and did some push-ups. Yeah, well, hit the hit the turf. One guy who looks good in a new number is Rashid Shahid. I think he looks a little bigger, but I don't know if that's just like an optical illusion because he's wearing 22 now. And I'm like seeing him as a defensive back, <laughs> kind of like how Pete Werner has always felt small to me. Like I always see him and think he looks small as a linebacker, but I'm pretty sure it's because he's wearing 20 and that's not a linebacker number. And there's like some weird connection in my head where 20 is a small guy. So maybe that's what's going on with Rashid. But I do think that, he bulked up a little bit and um, he wasn't in the locker room. We didn't get to talk to him, but I am going to ask him when I do see him. Cause he does, I don't know. See, he looks a little different in some way. And I don't know if it's just a number. Yeah. Hopefully if he did bulk up, obviously that speed has not been dropped. Right. DeMarco Jackson. And he was in him, on right? first team, first team drills for the linebackers. And obviously DeMario Davis isn't there. So that opens up a spot. Um, but I don't think that's a coincidence either. I think this team wants to see DeMarco Jackson. He's going to be heavily involved throughout the preseason. Um, so get, I think we're, we need to get used to seeing him and get an understanding of what he can actually do because they didn't sign any linebackers. They didn't bring anyone in. Yeah, They're, The group they have is going to be the group that, that contributes. And that group no longer includes Caden Ellis. So if Pete Werner goes down, if DeMario Davis goes down, who's taking that spot? I think he's going to have a chance there. No, I, I thought that was something that definitely stood out to me is like you you looked at that group day one and no DeMario Davis out there. And it was like, wow, that the position is really thin depth wise, at least with proven uh, talent. And they, they seem kind of like to be a, a smaller group to me. The Saints linebackers aren't very big, minus DeMario. I mean, I think that's just a trend in the NFL is linebackers yeah. are getting smaller, right? Yeah, that, right, that, right. That, they're basically like if you compared a modern linebacker to a safety from the 70s, they'd feel, I feel like they would be pretty close in size, like in athleticism. It's just how the NFL works now. Anthony Orgy, I, th I thought he moved well and definitely excited to see more from him kind of thing. Yep, Orgy. And then Bond is the big guy. Bond is the linebacker. Yeah. So he's got to be the Sam, right? The guy, the position that never gets on the field. But yeah. Okay, so we'll go through the list of the gunners that I wrote down. These are all the players that got a snap at as a gunner. Um, and I think that's this is the group that you're kind of choosing one from. Or maybe two, because you're probably going to want to back up uh, on game days to JT Gray. You probably want to back up to both. So let's say three of these players probably end up on the roster with gunner responsibilities. I don't know if they're going to do other things, but JT Gray is going to be one, and you know that. And then these are the others. So... Adrian Fry, who's a UDFA, probably not, right? Uh, Jonathan Abram, who I think is a very realistic possibility. Alante Taylor, another very realistic possibility. Paulson Adebo, again, I think whoever wins the starting cornerback battle between them, the other one is going to have a really good shot to be the gunner. Makes on special. sense, right? Kirk Merritt, where is 33 now, worked with the running backs yesterday or Tuesday, which, you know, nothing new, but... Last year, it took him a while in the training camp before that started. Now it's just kind of how it is. Too obviously, the, the running back numbers just being down. Uh, you didn't have Kamara. You didn't have, what's his name? The, the rookie not participating, Kendra Miller either. Kendra and, 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 you know. and Emio Joe, right, exactly. So there you go. Yeah. 
I, I do wonder if maybe then when the numbers get more reasonable, he's shifts over wide receiver. But then Ugo Amadi, Jordan Howden, I don't know. Uh, one of them's a rookie draft pick. So I feel like you're going to be looking for excuses to get him on the field. Ugo's um, the, got the number zero. Yes, he does. He does. <laughs> it's weird to see. Yes. Uh, Lonnie Johnson Jr. Lonnie. Another guy who is interesting. Isaac Yadam, who was a gunner last year and I think performed pretty well. So I think he's got a good shot. And then a bunch of wide receivers, which is interesting because I think you're trying to find a second use for these end of the roster wide receivers. And whichever one of them stands out and can contribute on special teams has a really good chance to make the roster between A.T. Perry, Kawan Baker, Shaq Davis, Brian Edwards, and Traquan Smith. All of them got snaps at Gunner. I don't think as a 6'3 wide receiver, you have a much chance of a being being a Gunner. <laughs> it just like doesn't make sense. But hey, you know, give him a chance. And then Troy Pride Jr. So that's the list of uh, all the Gunners that we've seen. Just in general, you you know, you mentioned with Kawam Baker, he was just a seventh round pick in 2021, but I'm still waiting to see something from him that makes me grab, you know, grabs my attention kind of thing. I feel like he's won a different number every offseason too. Like every time I see him, it's like, oh, wait, who's 15? Who's that? Oh, oh, right. I impressed Doug Mouton. I've already committed most of this roster to memory because at one point during the practice, he was like, who's number 34? And I was like, Sir Roderick Johnson. And he was like, who? Right, huh? How did you know that? He's worth 34. Anyway, yeah, we should play. One of these podcasts, we should have a contest. (laughs) I think we did that one uh, when we were going down a bunch of guys. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just it's it's something I'm good at. Anyway, all right, let's wrap up this segment. We're gonna come back and we're gonna play some more audio. I want to get into Foster Morrow and what he was talking about. I want to get into more from Juwan Johnson, and I was able to talk to Tyron Matthew. We talked to Caesar Ruiz too, so I'd like to get into some of that. Keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. And as promised, I want to get into more about Foster Morrow. He looked good. We, We can talk more about him as a football player as we go on. Right now, let's talk about the whole cancer situation, right? So he was diagnosed with a rare form of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the, what, the fortunate thing for Foster is it did not require chemotherapy. It did not require radiation. He had to have four treatments of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the drug. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the, the, the strain of cancer that he had because it's, it's not even important other than it was a very non-aggressive version of, of this type of cancer. And one thing he wants to make clear to people is that like, this is a lot worse for a lot of other people. He got lucky. And this is what he had to say again. Like he wanted to make this very clear. And so I want to make it very clear to people as well. To get it straight. um, My quality of life did not change. You know, I'll continue to fight this as long as I need to. And as many times as I need to fight this and then go back into remission, I will. And that'll be a life sentence for me. Um, but in terms of the struggle that I had to face was more mental than anything. Um, so the real heroes are the, are the kids in the children's hospitals that are really fighting with real chemotherapy, real radiation. Um, you know, th- those are the, those are the strong ones. 
Yeah. And so like, there's been a lot of questions about like, Oh, I mean, is he going to be able to get through a full season? How is he doing physically? I think if you, he would tell you, and he has said this, that he has no limitations physically. He really wasn't affected that much from an off season perspective. He had like 10 days where he couldn't work out. But other than that, it was very non-invasive. It was more of a mental challenge. You know, when the diagnosis, he got it and he just went home and cried. Cause it's like, you don't even know how to react to that. Like, he didn't know at that point that it was going to be as simple as it was to address it. But like, I think from this point on Foster is probably going to want zero cancer questions. Like he's focused on football now. Um, and he can be cause he was fortunate and and how that all worked. But I just thought it was like, you know, we're going to, I still see people saying, Oh, I, I wonder when he's going to be able to get in the field and blah, blah, blah. And I think there's like reasonable when you hear so-and-so has cancer, but he is a full go. He was a full participant in this practice. He was in on third team reps with Jake Hayner. If you had any limitations, it would have come on the third team reps with Jake Hayner. He was in there. So like from, from, from what I can tell, you are just a full go and he is just like anyone else in that locker room. I was uh, really surprised to hear too, I guess, I don't know much about Hodgkin's lymphoma, but to hear it was something in his left clavicle. I, I didn't I didn't think that's where the issue would have been, honestly. Well, I know it's, it has to do with your lymph nodes, and that's yeah. where the lymphoma comes from. And I, I'm not I'm not I, I don't know. I, I I know nothing about medical stuff. I know enough to be dangerous. Um that's why I don't want to say anything and get it wrong. I'm just like really relaying what he's saying, which is he's ready and you know, I think one thing that was interesting to me, and I asked him about, you know, what did you always want to come to New Orleans? Like, what was your plan? Obviously, he's from here. He played at LSU. He said when he was at LSU, he he probably thought about it more than he should have and was like, that would be really cool to be in New Orleans. But once he got to, I guess, Oakland at that point, he was a fourth-round pick, he was ready to be a Raider for life. He never intended to go to free agency. And, like, the interesting thing for him was, you know, I don't think he even realized that this is kind of what he said is like, until I got back, I didn't realize how good it would be to have that support system in New Orleans the way he did. And uh, this is what he said about that whole situation when I asked. It was an option, certainly. Honestly, I just, I hadn't given it too much thought. I tried to go in with as much of an open mind as I wanted to. And I, I've, I've said this before. I wanted to be a one club player, to be, to be perfectly honest. I just, I didn't want free agency to really even be a thing for me. I thought that was... You know, the guys that I always looked up to, the guys that I really respected, um, were always the guys that stuck it out with the guys that took a chance on them from the beginning. Loyalty is a is a, is a a major trait for anyone in this business, and that's something that I always wanted to show. Um, but just the reception of, of loyalty based on absolutely no performance that I've ever given for anyone in this building, the, the respect that they showed me, I mean, it, it just it spoke volumes. It really did. I thought that was an interesting answer because normally you hear someone coming back home and like, Oh, I've always wanted to do this. This is my dream. And he was just like, eh. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm back. But he even, he did mention too, like he kind of, I forget his exact wording, but underestimated basically about needing that support system. Yeah. You know, being back around family and friends kind of thing. But during that time, I, I thought it was, you know, when he talked about even finding out, about the diagnosis from Tom Amos, the Saints doctor, uh, the fact that, you know, he, he broke down and cried, obviously. I mean, and, and you know, hearing that, you know, you can understand because you, you, you don't know when you hear that, that term, obviously cancer is a, a scary thing. And he talked about, too, that though luckily with him, it's been more of, you know, that mental issue really than anything and then kind of you know, diverted it to being the real heroes of the kids at Children's Hospital fighting with real radiation and chemotherapy kind of thing. Right. Like their, their hair is falling out, you know, that sort of thing. He's got a full head of hair. And I don't know, like, it's it's interesting. He did say that Mickey Loomis called his agent the day after the diagnosis saying, we still want yeah. him here, like, whenever That's he's huge. ready. And I, I do think, like, you know, you, you hear about him say, like, oh, well, I was always wanted to be a Raider, blah, blah, blah or Raider for life, whatever. And it's like, he had options in free agency. And I have a feeling that once, like the difference, the second time around when he came back, right? He left for like a month and a half, whatever you want to say, uh, is like, I think that kind of, that that helped him land on New Orleans, like that whole support system and everything. I did ask him if he had talked to Tyron Matthew, 
who obviously kind of did the same thing last year was the LSU guy came back home. He's from new Orleans. He said he hadn't really talked to him yet, but I also asked Tyron Matthew what his advice would be to Foster Morrow, and I thought his answer was was. What would be your advice for a guy coming in to basically what you did last year, being the LSU star, coming home, playing for the hometown team? Oh man, uh, man, watch the diet, man. You, know? <laughs> you got all type of people, family, friends. Everybody won't cook for you, but you can't really, you can't necessarily be on a diet that they're on. Uh, so uh, that's probably number one, and um, I'll probably say, man. Get it out the way early. Find out who want to come to the game because, you know, you don't need those headaches, you know, the night before the game. Everybody trying to squeeze in. Especially from New Orleans, man. You know, New Orleans people only traveling to Atlanta. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the only game they want to go to. So, uh, but yeah, man, when you back home, you know, everybody want to be, everybody want to wear their black and gold. Everybody want to be in a dome. Did you put on weight when you came here initially? Initially? Yeah. I probably so. Yeah. I had a lot of red beans, a lot of gumbo. Oh, man, bread pudding, cornbread. I was like, man, a lot of this stuff I ain't eaten in years. And I feel like I've been gone 10 years. And I came back and it was like, I got to, like, retaste all the food again. So, uh, but not, that's real. Yeah, so maybe that explains Tyron's slow start last year. He was like five pounds heavier than he wanted to be because everyone kept feeding him red, red beans and bread pudding. He was like, okay, guys, guys. Football season. I got to chill. And, and you know that dreaded when King Cake comes around. You can't refuse that either. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I always enjoy talking to Tyron. He's very funny. But and he wasn't even the only the only food conversation we had in the locker room. Kind of shifting gears here. We also talked to Cesar Ruiz, who looks great, by the way. You know, when, when you're a lineman and suddenly you are dealing with a foot injury, like it would be, it's very easy to balloon up. Like you're, you're eating constantly to kind of maintain a weight. And then suddenly you don't get the fitness level that you, that you would normally have. And so like his off season, like one of the challenges he faced, and I'm sure Trevor faced the same thing dealing with the same injury was like, okay, I want to get stronger. I want to get a little bigger, but I don't want to get too big. And he said that the biggest thing he had to do was limit the amount he went to Shake Shack. Not no Shake Shack, to be clear. Like there's still Limited Shake Shack, it, right? Working, but it's got you got you got to you got to slim it, trim it down a little bit, and that's that's how he managed to to keep his keep his weight where he wanted. I maybe mean, keep it to a single patty, a couple of fries, no shake, <laughs> and you can't have the shake though. I, I don't think. Yeah, I, we didn't get the chance to ask him what his go to <laughs> order is, but that was that was a big thing. He was in a very good like he he did say like the it really hasn't changed his off season that much in terms of. You're not really you're not doing football drills during majority of the offseason anyway. It's a lot of fitness work, it's a lot of strength work, a lot of classroom work in, in terms of like your own classroom work, not classroom with the team, but like you're doing your own kind of stuff. And so like he said basically it really hasn't been that different for him. So I, I guess that's a good thing. I'm I'm interested to hear from Trevor Penning how that has worked for him because I think it probably is a little more difficult where he's at having missed the majority of his rookie season, now dealing with another injury. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk to him, but I'm sure he will pretty soon. Yeah, I'm, uh, I guess we could do even – we could try to get like a whole segment we could do on, hey, what's, what's your Saints diet kind of thing? We, we, <laughs> I'm sure we could. It would not be difficult. Although don't ask Jeremy Shockey because he doesn't do endorsements. No, exactly. He was a dick. <laughs> that's, a, that's an inside joke. One time Steve says he was asking everyone what their favorite candy was and Jeremy For Shockey. Halloween, yeah. Yeah, he said. He said he doesn't do endorsements. He's like, oh, I don't. I don't give endorsements. I was like, oh, okay, I don't give endorsements. <laughs> F you, Shocky. He's it just, could have been cool and just been like, oh, uh, chocolate or something. I, he's I don't just know. embarrassed by his candy choice. Maybe right? it was. Yeah, he, it turns out he's like a candy. He's like a mound guy. Yeah, <laughs> he likes like embarrassing candy, like he's a coconut candy guy, and no one likes that. Or those uh, disgusting maybe. circus peanuts. I don't even know what that's made out of. He likes Peeps. Ugh. Not even a holiday, Jeremy. On, on a different tangent, yeah, the Peeps, someone showed me recently they had Pepsi Peeps. Ugh. Uh, I'd, I'd rather die. Yeah, no I thanks. Think, I think I'd rather, I think, yeah, yeah, no, yes, I'd rather die. I'd rather die. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it. We're going to get into a lot of Derek Carr in the back end of this, D the final. DC. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been, I've been confused because a lot of times we'll get texts from, from like the Saints saying, so-and-so is available after blank. Or like, but they abbreviate Derek Carr to DC, 
And so I think defensive they're saying coordinator. defensive coordinator. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and I know more than one person got confused because they thought that, because they were saying DC is going to be at the podium after so-and-so. And more than one person thought that that meant that the defensive coordinator was going to go up after Dennis Allen. <laughs> and it was like, wait, no, 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 hold on, hold on. We got to, we got to sort this out. We, we got to come up with a, with a better abbreviation here. <laughs> this isn't working. Yeah. Yeah, we got a DA, we got a DC, but no DB. Oh, well, we got plenty of DBs. Ow! Oh, oh wait, wait. I have more. So we, we got another one, actually. Actually. And, and it's also like this. They'll play the rest of that tiring clip. Uh, so, so you know. What's the comfort level coming in year two as opposed to year one? Obviously, working with Marcus for another season, the secondary group. Uh, I, mean, I definitely feel way more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely have a you know better understanding of the scheme, the philosophy, and uh, you know I think too, you know, just being here, you know, with your teammates throughout the offseason workouts, I think all those things are like positives. You know, I think all those things kind of you know draw you closer to your teammates. So, uh, you know, it's been cool to you know be around them, and you know we've taken a few trips too, you know, outside of that. So. You know, I, I, I definitely feel like we're, you know, growing closer outside of football. But, you know, I think, you know, when it comes to football, we, we definitely understand each other, you know, much better. Gotcha. And Coach Robertson, obviously Coach Woods, how, how has that kind of transition been for you? It's been cool. You know, I think I think both of those guys are, are good coaches. Uh, you know, I think, you know, M. Rob is, is all about, you know, technique and, you know, fundamentals and, you know, straining to the ball. And, you know, I think Coach Woods is like that, that eagle in the sky. You know, he's been doing this a long time. So, you got a lot of nuggets, you know, uh, so we can learn a lot from both of them. Is that an official nickname, M-Rob? Or did you just come That's up? his name. That's <laughs> Every time he sent you a text, he's like, he ended with M-Rob. He gave himself that name, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you either, yeah, you either choose your own nickname or you give it your own nickname. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Because I do consider Tyron Matthew to be like the authority on nicknames because he has the coolest one. <laughs> but yeah, M-Rob. Let's keep that one in the canon there. I guess because there could be a bunch of Robinsons. I don't know, but he signs his texts with M Rob. Right, right. So I, I uh, never had a cool nickname either. I was just usually Geller. Hey, Geller. Yeah. I've never signed a text. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's funny because uh, it's like I think I said this. I was like, either you can you can have a nickname given to you, or you can pick your own. But you got to do that early. You can't do that late. Once <laughs> because it's going to happen organically in the locker room. I think we asked. Uh, uh, when Dennis Allen got hired as head coach, I can't remember who it was we were talking about, and we were asking like who started calling him DA, and he was like, "I don't think that it was anyone's decision. They just started doing it. Like literally anything but Dennis would be fine. Like just, <laughs> you're fine." Yeah, then um, it's like hell. Well, well, DA was the DC, but now he's the HC. It's too many, too many C's. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but all right, let's close out that segment. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. We're going to come back and we're going to do basically all Derek Carr with a, with a little, little little smattering, a little smattering of some, maybe someone Juwan Johnson in there because uh, he had some stuff to say. But all right, come back for one more. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can just feel a different energy, especially in the locker room. There's a lot of new faces here, so guys are still trying to, you know, feel each other out. And, you know, obviously you have a new quarterback in the in the, in the flow of things. You got a new tight end in the flow of things, different receivers. So it's, a, it's, a, it's obviously there's a lot of um, different moving parts. But I think the biggest thing is that we all want one common goal, and that's just to keep winning games. And, you know, we're having a lot of fun doing it. It's probably the most fun I've had in OTA so far, <laughs> knowing that it's only been the first one. But, um, you know, really excited to see what we have because there's a lot of new guys, and, you know, I think think DA is uh, putting all his chips forward so we can make this thing happen. So I'm um, really looking forward to what the season has. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. Subscribe. And that was Jawan Johnson. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting comment. You know, like he he did not, was not, no one held a gun to his head. and <laughs> But he volunteered that it, it feels a lot different. Like the energy feels different this time. I don't know why that is. I don't know if part of it is, Dennis Allen going into year two, he 
is more confident in that role. He's maybe he's learned from, from some mistakes is a new tight ends coach. Maybe that's part of it. There's a new quarterback. Maybe that's part of it, but either one way, whatever, however you want to explain that he's, I mean, I think that's a notable thing. Like, that he feels like this is a very different energy that Dennis Allen has pushed all of his chips to the center of the table. That's him saying that, not me. But I mean, I do feel like that's kind of what happens. Like you got your whole coaching staff in here now. Like you don't have a an excuse. Like you better, you better put up or probably hit the bricks. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting. No, I definitely think that's a huge factor. The DA having a lot more confidence. He has his staff. We know it was kind of basically. You know, he inherited everything last season and the continuity was keeping everybody intact. But obviously coaches go their different ways and some, you know, were by choice and some weren't by this team that they ended up losing. But uh, I I am curious to know how much that new tight ends coach is going to make a difference, too, because uh, we've seen his his past resume has been pretty impressive with some of the tight ends he has worked with. Yeah, and I think Jawan, you know, he's he's an interesting guy like you. You look back a couple of years, he's not even a tight end. He's a UDFA. You don't even know anything about him. He's just a big dude. Now he's like remade his body. Like he's a big guy. Like I didn't get a chance to ask him, but like, I'm sure he's put on more weight. Like last year, I think he was up to like 235, maybe 240. Um, and he's, you know, you're talking about, okay, can he block? And that's the thing Dennis Allen said about Lucas Kroll, can he block? Um, and you know, he's the, he's the elder statesman in that tight end room now. Right. He was asked about that too. It's like, what is it like to be the old man now? <laughs> right. And, uh, here's what Derek Carr had to say on, uh, on Juwan uh, earlier. A couple of the guys, I don't know if I did with everybody, but as I've, you know, been watching the last, you know, few seasons, even going back to when Drew was here, I've been watching year after, you know, year after year, after year and just learning, you know, learning, watching these guys run routes and watching these guys break and catch balls and, I've been sending them clips of things like, do this on this route. Please do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. I've been super positive. I haven't, haven't sent any that I was like, hey, don't do this. You know, haven't done that yet. Trying to build some chemistry. Um, but, uh, you know, I think there's some things where you watch the film and you're like, I mean, you guys see it. You guys have seen it more than I have where you're like, wow, you know, he's special talent. And um, hopefully we can get it all to come together for everybody because if everyone just does their job at the highest level, you know, we have a g- good, talented group that hopefully we can score, score some points. Scoring points would be nice. That was definitely not happening last season. Yeah, and I mean, and they've said this in jest, but like Derek Carr is very familiar with a tight end of Jawan Johnson's ilk, right? Like he's had a lot of success for Darren Waller, a guy who I don't think was a no-brainer star tight end when he got into the league. Like they, they kind of built that together, and there's no reason to think that they can't have a similar type of connection. That's why you see Jawan Johnson up the seam. And it's like, yeah, that's got to become like the go-to. Like when you need a big play, he should be a guy you think about because, you know, like Michael Thomas for so many long has, for so long has been like a very impressive athletic marvel of like the contested catch. Jawan Johnson's a more athletic player and he's bigger. And like, he's a matchup nightmare up the seam and you just got to be able to take advantage of it. Uh, and they did last year, especially in the red zone. But I, I think that's just scratching the surface on what that guy can do. No, definitely one of those guys. We've seen that progression and the arrow just continually going up. And hopefully that continues for Jawan because, yeah, he just obviously the great attitude, the body's looking fantastic. The, um, and just overall, that, that catchability uh, is so key, especially in the red zone where this team just, I felt settled, had to settle too much last season on field goals. And obviously six is better than three. That's, uh, that's no dummy. You know, anyone can do math there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's two threes. Even you might say. Jawan's also got a baby on the way. I think he's the, they're due in July. So congrats. Perfect timing. The wife's going to love it. You got a new board and he's off to training camp. Right. right. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that'll be easy to deal with. All right, so uh, this is just one more clip. Like one thing Derek Carr said that I thought was uh, a good, just an interesting way to phrase things is he's asking questions. And when he says that, it's sometimes it's actually asking questions. Other times it's just throwing a guy on the ball and seeing what he does. And he did that with Chris Olave and Juwan Johnson today. And I think it's just, it's just some good insight into his approach to the game of football. What it's about, you know, giving guys chances, you know, make plays. You know, you saw Olave, you know, I had to move like in the thing, but I still throw it. Let's see if, you know, see what happens, you know, and he goes up, makes a great catch and, 
Yeah, that's what you that's what you want to see. You know, Jake made a great one to the to the young buck, you know, on the sideline. Like that that's the kind of stuff that young you want buck. to see. Um, you know, giving Juwan a chance down the seam. Uh, you know, you want to test out this time to test it, you know. Um, you know, and see, you know, how guys break and um, you know, all those different things, how they see certain coverages. Um I'm I'm really just asking a lot of questions. You know, I'm asking a lot of questions um, from the coaches because I want to speak the same language they're speaking. I never want to, never want me to say something that's separate from them because that creates division. Um, not that it would here, but I always want to. I'm just in the belief that if we're all saying the same thing, we all believe the same way. You know, better things can happen. And so, um, you know, I'm really just asking a lot of questions. Hey, you know, and I said next to Pete. Hey, do we want him to release? No, we want that. Okay, I see it the same way. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, before I just come out, hey, release like this, and they're like, no, <laughs> you know, uh, all that stuff. So. Um, we're working through all that, but it's this is an important time for me to, you know, get in a huddle and get used to throwing to someone in a gold helmet. You know, um, you know, I did last year one time, um, but hopefully not too many more times. Yeah, he and uh, Derek and Foster both both have uh, poked fun at themselves for that Raiders game last year, which good because <laughs> they deserve it. McCarr, I just love the fact that he talked. He said that now is the time to try things out. Obviously, it's like, you know, the the organized team activities or, you know, your time in camp, it's time to work through things. And why not, you know, try something new or try something you're not that comfortable with at this point and, and, and not trying to do it during the regular season, obviously. Uh, I just I love the whole demeanor of car two. And I think I don't know, everything just seems to be falling into pr- place pretty well for this team. Uh, despite how grim things were last year. A lot of positives to look forward to, I think. He has a very calming presence. And I think this time last year, there was a lot of questions of, okay, can Jameis be the guy? You know, what is this offense going to look like with Pete Carmichael leading the show? And uh, I do think that we found that the Jameis-Pete Carmichael combo was not optimal. I don't know if that's going to be the case in a backup role. I actually think like the Saints might have the best backup situation in the NFL. Jameis has been very supportive of Derek. Uh, Derek has said that. And like, I would expect nothing less. Like that's just Jameis Winston. Like you can question whether he can be the starting quarterback all you want. You're never going to question if he's a good teammate because he is. objectively. He's a a fantastic rah-rah guy. He is there to lift anyone up. It's amazing. Yeah. No, he's great. He's great. And he's running around. He's the fact that he was willing to stay and be a backup, I think tells you a lot about Jameis because he could have been a backup somewhere else. If he, if he felt slighted by them giving his job away, right? Like you, there's a, there's a difference between being a good sport about something and just leaning into it because you believe in what's happening. And that's what he did. So that's kind of cool to see. But for, for Derek, one of the things that I think really kind of cemented this marriage of quarterback offensive coordinator is Pete Carmichael needs certain things from his quarterback. He needs a guy who is going to take ownership of the play at the line of scrimmage, because there's no such thing as a perfect play call. There are perfect situations that you get yourself into. And until you see what the defense is doing, you're guessing. So like you need someone who's going to go up to the line and be able to identify what the best option would be. And one thing that Derek said that I think is, is, is worth noting. It's like, you're not just changing plays to change plays. There's no point in checking from a good play to another good play. That's just a waste of your time, but you do want to get out of a bad play if it's there and you need to be able to identify that. And that's something that I think he's done really well over the course of his career. And it's something he did well with John Gruden, who is a very similar offensive mind to, to what P Carmichael is asking him to do. And this is what uh, Carr said when he was asked about kind of being in control at the line. For me, it's, I I always want to just put us in a good play, you know, and uh, we'll grow to that. You know, right now I'm just, I'm, I'm learning how to say our words <laughs> and get out of the huddle and get the snap and, you know, complete a pass, you know, and hand the ball off to the right guy, you know, and, and all those things. There's a lot of work to go, but, you know, eventually down the road as we keep building and get comfortable, um, those checks and the things and all that kind of stuff, I, you know, the more I can put on my shoulders, I, I think the more that I can help the team, um, you know, with my mind, you know, before I even have to make a decision with my arm. 
I thought it was funny too what Carr mentioned. He's like, you talk to Pete Carmichael Jr. for five minutes and you fall in love with the guy. And I was like, I don't know about how Saints fans feel about that one. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I, like from a football perspective, I'm sure like he's he's very effusive. Like he knows what he's talking about. The question I think most Saints fans have is, can he lead an offense? And that's a question I have too. Like I don't question his game planning ability. I don't question his understanding of the game. Like, I don't think it's passed him by. I just question whether he can be a leader of men, right? And that's kind of this, this like, weird, uh, like, phrase that you throw around. But, you know, like, like, like a guy like Demario Davis, for example, you would never in a million years question whether people will follow his direction, right? He's just a, he's very, he's just a commanding presence. Would it never, you never question that about Sean Payton either, and but like a guy like Mike McDaniel, right? I would have those questions about. He, it turns out works out pretty well for him, right? So you know, like for different reasons. But that's going to be something this year that I think is is important is not only having the offensive coordinator, but having the quarterback and the quarterback's coach and the running back, everyone on the same page, pulling the same direction. Hopefully that kind of bleeds into the season where you can see it and it just feels more cohesive. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. And a lot of t- I've heard that Carmichael is act was actually a more aggressive play caller than even Sean Payton. But I just I don't feel like we saw that. Yeah, it, it it's I think it depends on your definition of aggressive because I actually think that they took more shot plays last year than they had with Drew Brees in the final few seasons. But it's like your baseline. What's your baseline? You know, and like a screen isn't an aggressive play call, (laughs) but it seems like that if it gets a 40-yard catch and run, right? Like that play against the Packers a few years ago, that wasn't an aggressive play call, but it ended up in a touchdown. And last year, like we didn't have like any screens called. Like that's not an aggressive play. That's just a smart play when you do it right. Um, And so... And something the team's known for too. Yeah, right. Like if if the if the trade-off is more screens and less aggressive play calling, I'd prefer that one cuz you want screens in your offense. <laughs> anyway, uh, like I I do think that's something. And I also think like it's like okay, yeah, he can put his foot on the throat of a team when you're up 40 points. Like that's aggressive. <laughs> like I think think back to that Packers game. I'm sorry, Colts game, Colts game. But, you know, one other thing that I that I think is worth noting and I think you know, I think Jameis, his issues were not about checking into the correct place. So I like I think he probably could have got that part of it done. I do think that he struggled to set protections and he didn't do it well enough in the games he was in there, especially last season. I don't, 2021 was a little different, I think, in terms of, you know, there, there was a, the offense was a little different. Sean Payton was a little more domineering. He could lead you to water where I don't know if Pete can. But like the protection issues were very apparent from week one, week two, week three. And it's part of the reason he got, you know, eaten alive. And that's why he ended up with injuries. And this is what uh, Derek Carr said on like why he feels the ownership of setting protections, which is not always the case. In a lot of offenses, you'll see the center deal with a lot of those protection checks. And in the Saints offense for so long, it was Drew Brees working with Eric McCoy or working with Max Unger, right? And But this is what Derek Carr had to say. The way I was taught is, you know, if you're in control, you know where your problems are, you know. And, uh, you know, you do all that studying, all that, you know, all that preparation just to, you know, break the huddle and let someone else make the decision. You know, I, I've always felt that if I, if I, I like to be in control of the game, you know, and I like to make those points and, and I'm not right every time, but if I'm not right, at least I know where my, my answer's at, right? And uh, with these defenses, it's so complicated sometimes that you're not going to be 100%. But if I'm not 100%, where's my answer? And so um, I just, that's how I was trained, and that's how I grew up, grew up uh, in, in the certain system, in this kind of protection system. And so um, that's also watching your big brother get sacked a million times, you know, makes you want to be in control of things too. <laughs> Yeah, he, he saw his brother get abused for sure. He sure did. <laughs> those, man, those Texans games. And Derek, David Carr, I, I called Derek, I called David Derek there. This is just asking for for trouble. David Carr was a number one overall pick. And you just got toasted in that Texans offense that never had a chance. Was that their very first draft pick or no? I can't remember. I know the Texans were the team that drafted Mario Williams ahead of the Saints. Ooh. Right. taking Reggie Bush. 
And I remember at the time, everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and now if a team decided to draft a running back number one overall, they'd get laughed off the stage. Yeah, Think how times that. change, right? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, but at that point, everyone was like, of course you're going to take Reggie Bush number one overall. Come on, what are you thinking? Oh, anyway. He, he was, Williams he was 2002, was 2002, David Carr, the first pick of the Houston Texans. The, uh, the Texans history? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes what's, sense. What's, what's crazy, after the Texans took David Carr, the Carolina Panthers grabbed Julius Peppers afterwards. Oof. Julius Peppers. Yeah. Man, great basketball player. I think he went to the Final Four with North Carolina. I can't remember. They like he had some like crazy accolade of like being the only player to go to the Final Four and do something else. Maybe go to the Final Four and a Super Bowl, which I'm sure that is true cuz you have to play basketball to go to the Final Four. But yeah, it, it's uh it, it's definitely interesting to me of how does that change this offense? Does the offensive line look better? You know, that was something that for a long time the Mannings like even as they were declining in talent level and you could see it, their arms were kind of turning into jello and they were never mobile, but like they have this big brain and it's like, you know, you got to put something in the jug head and like they made their offensive line better in front of them. And that's part of the reason they were able to survive for so long in the NFL. And it's like, you, how do you quantify that? Like you don't see it. It's, there's no stat that says like, Oh yeah, the quarterback made sure they, you know, the, the, the right guard knew where he was supposed to go on this play, and that's what saved him from getting blown up by, you know, on a, on a A-gap blitz, right? Like, there's nothing that, that quantifies that except the play worked. But a lot of times I think that is the difference between an offense running efficiently and an offense bogging down. And so having the quarterback not only taking ownership of the protections but doing it well can change games. Um, and so hopefully that – Hopefully that's kind of the missing piece that was not there last year. That's my that's my glass half full uh, take on that. No, I think that's actually fantastic. Just because even hearing Carr at OTAs, just you know that voice barking out things. Yeah, we didn't get that last season from Jameis or Andy Dalton. It was all on the O line. It was Caesar Ruiz making the calls on the line. It was. He was doing a lot of it, and then you lost a lot of offensive line. The, the one of the issues with that setup. In, in relying on the offensive line to to set the protections themselves is offensive linemen get hurt all the time. Like, it's just a mat- it's matter of time. And, you know, I know Teron Armstead actually had a pretty big involvement in some of the protections being set. And, like, that just comes with being a veteran and being able to see stuff that you identify and you can tell. Like, there, were, there were clips where you could actually hear Teron being like, he's not coming. And then, and then like the blitz would like back off, you know? And it's like, that's just, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a tough thing. I remember there was an interview with Peyton Manning where he was talking about Ray Lewis and this is very different, but also the same kind of concept where he would have a play and he'd be like, Oh, it's a perfect play for every play. And then you'd be like, you'd hear Ray Lewis and you'd be like, it's a screen, watch the screen. And then Peyton would be like, God damn it. He called time. I'm like, he knows the play. <laughs> and it's just kind of funny. It's like you, you like that is such that cat and mouse thing that people don't see. Because it's, you're watching the broadcast, you're watching the game, you don't hear it, you don't, you're not in the huddle, you're not at the line of scrimmage. That is a, as big a part of anything as as you of you being successful is doing those little minute things correctly, um, and that's why you know I, I'd much rather have a veteran quarterback than a baby quarterback, <laughs> you know. No, and the the difference. I mean, I, I'm curious to see too, just because that that is a big factor that you know that that's gonna that. That pressure, that job, whatever you want to say, is back on with Derek with Derek Carr running the show and alleviates that from you know the the offensive line having to worry about it. It's a pretty big factor, I think. It definitely the offensive line definitely appreciates it. Absolutely. Um, but all right, I know Steve, you got to go. I do want to leave you with one more clip here, and it's talking talking about baby quarterbacks. Well, we have a baby New Orleanian here, and I mean that in the very figurative sense because it's Derek Carr. He had his first power outage. Of like apparently his life arriving. Have that in California? 
I guess they don't lose power anywhere else. Um, here's here is him talking about his five hour power outage. Man, you know what? We freaked out a little bit. I was like, is this going? <laughs> like, is this going to be forever? <laughs> like, does it does it ever come back on? You know, I'm check. I was trying to check on my phone, like when our street they had the little street lines. I'm like checking when it's going to come back on. It's like five hours. I ain't never been without power five hours. <laughs> and my grandmother said, you're going to be all right. You know, she grew up no power and so she's like you're gonna make it just turn some candle light some candles if you need to but uh now we we're working on a generator i'm working on that i've learned that that's that's uh, pretty important um but we're, we're working on that but we we did make it we survived i didn't know if my kids were gonna make it but they made it they they were all right <laughs> better get used to it derek <laughs> Never had a five-hour power outage. It's like, sir, may I may I interest you in a five-day power outage? No. <laughs> please no, please no. Like it's just so funny to me. Um, hopefully, no, he never great... has to deal with longer than a five-hour power outage. That's my wish say, for him. Get, get wait, just wait for your you know hurricane warning, hurricane season, and he's gonna go. Oh man, now I'm fo- following all these spaghetti models, and oh, it's going this way, it's going that way. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, he's gonna wish he never left Vegas. <laughs> Oh man. But no, I mean, I think this off season is going to be a lot of fun to watch and to cover because you're you like, and for the same reasons, I think that Jawan Johnson feels like the energy where came full circle is a little different. It's a, and it's, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Cause you know, you, you, you feel like optimistic, right? Like you feel like there are the pieces are in place now that, you know, with, you know, stuff like Alvin Kamara's lawsuit or uh, criminal trial, notwithstanding, you're in a really good position and you, and everything is set up for success and you just got to go out there and take it. And uh, so it's just going to be very fun to watch this group kind of mold together. And hopefully the season comes and it, there is this really great product on the field and they win a bunch of games and it's just a palate cleanser from the Drew Brees, Sean Payton era. And you can kind of start fresh because uh, that's what the last two seasons felt like to me. And that's what I think made it frustrating is there was just the ghost of Sean Payton and Drew Brees, like hanging over the franchise. And that includes the, the final year Sean Payton was here. Cause I feel like that also included the ghost of Sean Payton actually in the room. <laughs> Cause I don't think you were getting the full go Sean Payton that season. And so hopefully that changes. Hopefully they can kind of create their own identity with this group. And you, there's something that's fun to watch. Cause it's been a while since you've gotten to the end of a sports season in New Orleans and felt like, man, this is great. Let's do it again. No, and hopefully, like you say, the pieces all come together, works out. Uh, we all we've we recognize the strength of schedule. If you want to look at that as being, you know, obviously in favor of this team, it looks like it's worked out with the fact of how their travel is set up, the bye week, uh, the competition, even just in the division and in the conference. Uh, this team should should be a playoff contender. Easiest damn schedule in Saints history. According to hyphen Bobby Hebert. That's what he says. But all right. I think that's going to wrap it up. Thanks, Thank everyone, you. for listening. We have another set of OTAs coming up on Tuesday. So we should have an episode coming at you Tuesday morning. And I'm getting you ready for that. So we'll have to come up with something. It's going to be weird because like we're talking about the same thing over and over again. I'm sure we'll find something. I'm sure something will happen over the weekend. Maybe Yasir Durant will get cut. <laughs> you have to talk about that. But yeah, otherwise, listen to Sports Talk 4 to 8 p.m. I'll be on there with Steve on Friday. That'll be a good time. Yeah, unless Any somehow, I don't think LSU baseball can preempt us. That's a good point. Who knows? Who knows, right? <laughs> You're playing right now as we record this. Yes. All right, that's it. Who dat? See you on Tuesday. Peace. Who dat? Who dat?